0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Francis Deed Salas, a senior writer here at The Post. Today, in our ongoing This Is Climate series, we're going to be talking about Mexico's climate commitments and the impact of global warming across the region. In a little while, I'm going to be joined by Jimena Marvan, who is the executive director of, of Chapter Zero Mexico. But first of all, I'm delighted to welcome Luisa Palacios. She's a senior research scholar at Columbia University's Center on Global Energy Policy. Luisa, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you so much, Francis. I'm delighted
2: to be here with you.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. And a first question, I wanted to ask you about the big picture. Mexico in uh, November at COP27 made a pledge to more than double its uh, production of clean energy by 2030. Is that an achievable goal?
2: Well, um, uh, it is a very important goal for Mexico's competitiveness. It is an achievable goal. And it's a goal that the next administration will have to work very, very hard at uh, at completing. So it is achievable, but it requires very fast and very bold and assertive government action to make these things possible. Uh, and again, it's in the interest of the uh, government of Mexico, it's in the interest of the competitiveness of Mexico's economies, it's in the interest of Mexico being able also to channel the significant opportunities that are also coming with energy transition, not only the risks of uh, of not being able to meet those targets
1: tell me a little bit about the cost though I think the there's an estimate of something like forty eight billion is that right
2: I mean it's uh, I think you should see it as well as uh, what are the financing needs uh, that the uh, that governments uh, uh, need to uh, uh, take into account when they're uh, transition their economy to a much more uh, decarbonized or climate friendly uh, type of uh, policies. So you could see that in terms of a cost. I actually prefer to see that in terms of the opportunities uh, because these are opportunities also in terms of the amount of capital and the amount of investment that you could unleash. Um, it is important to understand that um, uh, while you have uh, focused on, on on that specific uh, number, 48 billion, um, it is you can see it also as uh, as a way to bring uh, not only a much needed uh, investments, uh, foreign investments, domestic unleashing domestic investments, and it comes also with interesting developmental uh, uh, consequences or or just uh, um, improvements uh, to Mexico's economy because. Um, you it's not only about Mexico's climate pledges, it also has to do with the fact um, that Mexico, like many countries uh, around the globe, is also experiencing the impact of climate change, right? And so it is the impact of climate change, not only from a, a temperature perspective, it's also from droughts and, and floods and, and things that are coming just from more extreme weather. So it is, um, I, I think you should see that number as improving the resilience of the Mexican economy in the face of future shocks.
1: Let me ask you about another pledge um, to reduce greenhouse gases by 35 percent over the same period in the next six years. And you mentioned uh, a new president coming in, and that, of course, is in 2024. How does Mexico need to approach this election of a new president? What are the priorities here? How do the discussions have to happen?
2: so I think uh, one of the important things uh, for Mexico is that unlike the rest of Latin America uh, which already has 60 percent of its energy mat- uh, its electricity matrix already renewables in the case of Mexico Mexico is a lagger uh, it's uh, really less than 30 percent and so, um, when you think about uh, what are the pledges and what are the uh, policies that a next, a next administration needs to think about, uh, uh, particularly because it is uh, it is actually very timely, right? Uh, the next administration is coming in in two thousand and twenty-four, uh, uh, and ends in two thousand and thirty, exactly at the time where countries uh, will have to, um, you know, uh, uh, show uh, uh, what their performance has been in relation to their climate pledges, um, and so it. The next government will be in the hook for for uh, whether Mexico was able to comply or not, and for Mexico's progress. So it actually offers a significant opportunity to the next administration to define how Mexico is going to be able to meet those climate pledges going forward, and to create a narrative around around those uh, uh, around their, its uh, six-year term in office. And so, uh, going back to the question, um, I you know you do have uh, that many countries in the region are much more decarbonized in terms of their power uh, sector. That's not the case of Mexico. It's even, if you look at, it's not only from the point of view of renewables, but non-fossil fuels in general, um, Mexico also um, uh, is lagging behind the US uh, and it's much more uh, or much less decarbonized than uh, than its other uh, trading partner in the US, Mexico, uh, Canada free trading partnership. Um, so, because Canada is already more than 80%, and so it is, um, and it's more also from the point of view of uh, the kinds of priorities that you need, and uh, and the kinds of priorities have to be uh, uh, the energy sector, which in general, uh, when we think about climate pledges, uh, because 70% globally of the emissions come from the energy sector. That's we normally equate, or there's a, an important correlation between uh, your energy policy, uh, particularly in relation to decarbonization goals and climate pledges. Um, it's not in other countries as much energy uh, um, has a much lesser role, but in the case of Mexico, energy also is where most of the emissions are coming from. And within energy is the electricity sectors, the power sector, where the state has a, an important uh, participation. So it's, this is not only about Mexico's economy, about unleashing private sector investments. It's also about the decarbonization of the public sector.
1: Um, How did Mexico turn into such a laggard? You've described it several times as a laggard compared to other uh, countries in the region. How did that come about and can it really leap ahead? Is there an opportunity now to actually make a leapfrog and get ahead of some of the others in the area?
2: So, um, I, I, you know, it's um, some some of it has to do with its own resource base, right? Uh, Mexico is not as well endowed with hydroelectricity resources as other countries in the uh, in the region. So this is uh, not Mexico is not to blame for that. Uh, uh, but uh, one of the things uh, that uh, has happened in the last uh, decade, uh, particularly, is uh, is really a scaling of uh, other renewable uh, uh, types of sources for electricity generation, which are solar and wind. Uh, And actually, Mexico is fantastically endowed for the development and the generation of wind and solar uh, energy. And so that's one of the things in which you can compensate uh, for maybe not so much being so endowed with hydroelectricity with other kind of uh, also very, uh, uh, you know, at this moment, cost effective ways in which you can decarbonize. Uh, the power sector. So it's it's a combination both of policy and a combination of resource endowment. So um, you did have a significant increase uh, in, uh, in uh, renewable energy electricity capacity in the last years in Mexico because of deliberate policy decisions that took place uh, in which the uh, Mexican government at the time committed a very uh, conscientious policy To uh, promote uh, this kind of non-hydro renewable um, uh, clean energy technologies, Um, and very successfully, by the way, uh, attracting not only important investments uh, from foreign direct uh, from foreign uh, uh, foreign companies, but also domestically. Uh, And so it is. So I think uh, here the lesson is that policy policy signals and and policy framework uh, matter significantly uh, in terms of meeting your climate pledges, regardless of your initial resource endowment.
1: So just to follow up on that, Canada and the US have accused Mexico of um, favoring state-owned utilities over foreign and private investors. Can you explain what's going on there?
2: So um, unlike uh, Canada and the US, you'd have, and, and this is true not only of Mexico, um, the state has had a significant um, uh, role in the uh, provision of energy, um, fossil fuels, as well as uh, electricity. And so, um, again, Mexico is not the only emerging market where you see this level of state-owned uh, uh, companies uh, or this level of involvement of state-owned companies in the provision of uh, of energy and the production and the generation of, uh, of electricity. So, um Mexico is not unique. Um, I think the challenge is when we talk about Mexico and other other countries uh, in the emerging market and developing economies space, is how do we um, uh, uh, have a framework in which state-owned companies um, exist not to hinder progress on decarbonization and uh, deployment of uh, renewable technologies, but how they can capitalize uh, those uh, those opportunities? Um, there are there's a significant amount of discussion taking place about public private uh, partnerships, and so state ownership per se uh, uh, doesn't have to be uh, 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 equaled uh, with obstaculize, uh, You know, creating obstacles for the deployment of Private investments in this space. They actually can can work uh, to, to the advantage of, uh, of making them even more uh, or de-risking those kinds of investments.
1: Luisa, let me ask you specifically about Pemex, just to give an example. That's the national oil company. What
2: does it have to do to advance these government goals? What role can it play? So um The decarbonization of oil and gas industry lies at the forefront of climate pledges, right? And so, and this has to do with license, uh, uh, social license to operate everywhere. And so this is not only a a challenge for PEMEX, it's a challenge for all of the oil and gas companies. That said, um, uh, PEMEX here, the challenges that PEMEX Pemex has are, um, are, are uh, seem to be uh, more important in terms of uh, dealing with the consequences of uh, oil and gas production, which is uh, not only uh, uh, CO2 emissions but also methane emissions, which have been, uh, uh, I think there's a, a consensus uh, uh, in the scientific community that they can be even more harmful uh, uh, in the in the short term. Uh, than CO two emissions and uh, and Mexico has actually seen an increase in methane emissions coming from oil, the oil and gas industry uh, and so immediately it is in the best interest not only globally uh, uh, but of Mexico and PEMEX specifically to uh, um, to significantly uh, uh, decarbonize its operation. So we are going to need oil and gas investments and oil and gas production while we scale significantly uh, clean energy technologies. Um, this is a transition that cannot really happen overnight, but you have to plan so that you can uh, uh, can do this as fast as you can uh, and just because you have a carbon budget. So in Pemex uh, a specific uh, uh, responsibility then to every single barrel that it produces uh, uh, that helps with Mexico's energy security, it has to be produced in the most decarbonized way possible. And therefore, it does have to uh, 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 shift capital resources in order to make that decarbonization uh, uh, possible.
1: Luisa, I have a question from the audience. Um, you've mentioned solar and this one comes from Deborah Kanarak. She's in Mexico and Deborah writes, why isn't Mexico a world leader in the production of solar power? Is cFE the national electricity monopoly preventing or discouraging investments in solar?
2: Yeah, uh, very very good question. i yeah. I think that um, indeed uh, in the there's many instances uh, and it's not only Mexico and it's not only about solar and it's not only about CFE. Um, uh, when you making when you do investments and you make investment decisions of this kinds in uh, in countries uh, in any kind of country. Uh, Natural resource endowment matters a lot, Uh, so solar uh, potential of Mexico is is significant, Uh, but uh, investment decisions are also made in terms of the policy framework uh, um, and in terms of property rights uh, and in terms of opening doors for private sector. And so there's a combination of things. Um, And so it's uh, as I had mentioned a little bit before, uh, not in every country. The fact that you have a state owned company or a national company uh, uh, hinders uh, uh, the uh, uh, attract attracting private sector uh, uh, participation or even investments in clean energy technologies. In some cases they are partnering uh, with state owned companies. They're partnering with national companies. It's just that in in some places, like it does seem to be in the case of Mexico, um, I think there's not a, yet a complete realization that the energy transition, just as you mentioned uh, at the beginning, is going to uh, uh, requires a significant amount of investments um, and therefore not the state-owned companies and the national companies uh, uh, in, in most of the cases do not have the balance sheet to do this by themselves, and not even the execution capacities. And so, um, I think it has to do with uh, not only uh, uh, the execution capabilities, but the willingness uh, uh, to uh, understand that uh, the energy transition can also bring significant amounts of uh, of economic development uh, to uh, to your country. I'm uh, that to- is- Are you back with us? Excuse me. Hi, Luisa. Yes, I'm
1: here. Hi, Louisa, carry on. I'm sorry, we had a little hitch there on connection. I don't know where it was going on, but hello, apologies, Louisa, I lost you there temporarily. But welcome back to the program. And um, I wanted to ask you about regulatory policies here, which seem to be delaying some permitting. Has that been a big problem?
2: actually that has been a big problem uh everywhere permitting uh, uh so the center of global energy policy for example where i work uh, there's an initiative that just looks at uh, non-technical barriers to energy transition and uh, what i can tell you is that uh, um, regulatory uh, um, uh obstacles particularly in relation to permitting are a problem uh for the are one of the problems uh non-technical uh, problems for uh, the faster scaling of clean energy technologies. So this is not necessarily only an issue in Mexico. Uh, the regulatory issues in Mexico might be of a different nature, uh, uh, but uh, this is one of the things uh, uh, that I think we have to bring awareness uh, in terms of, uh, of how uh, we think about deploying uh, in a faster way uh, clean energy technologies.
1: So Tesla, I think, is opening a plant in Nueva León, and yeah. um, what could this mean? This kind of U.S. investment in Mexico—what impact do you expect it to have?
2: So this is uh, this is very important for Mexico. Um, uh, Mexico is a manufacturing powerhouse, uh, uh, exporter to the U.S., um, and its uh, uh, exports of automobile. Um, in this sector uh, uh, are a significant part of uh, its total exports uh, in general and so it is in the interest of this uh, uh, of mexico uh, to be able uh, to also play uh, uh, into the uh, trends in the automobile sector uh, as it becomes and continues to be part of the supply chains uh, uh, going forward Um, so tesla's announcement um, i think is a uh, uh, is a is a very important sign for mexico uh, uh, that it's a uh, very uh, uh important uh automobile uh, sector which is uh, as i said a very important exporter in the region uh, in, in in the country uh continues uh, to be relevant and continues to be part of the future of the automobile industry um so one of the important things i think that comes also with these kinds of investments is that Four companies uh, that are in the transportation sector. Um, Also, showing that they can produce, wherever they produce, uh, uh, that they can produce with lower emissions is going to be uh, significant, right? So, you are in electric vehicles, you are uh, one of the technologies uh, uh, that is uh, favored uh, uh, in relation to how the transportation is not not the only technology, but it's a very important technology uh, to decarbonize the transportation sector. Um, So, uh, it would be, these companies are actually also going to require uh, to outsource uh, their uh, electricity uh, uh, suppliers uh, to renewables. And so, to me, it's, it's also a source uh, where pressures are going to come not only from the diplomatic discussions that are taking place within the context of the Paris climate, of course, but you're also going to see it from uh, uh, companies Uh, inside of Mexico that have also made pledges uh, uh, to decarbonize and that actually are going to make that a requirement uh, as they move forward and a requirement for future uh, uh, investments in the country.
1: Luisa, we're going to have to close but I want to ask you one last question and that is how optimistic are you going ahead? Yes or highly optimistic or, or not very optimistic?
2: So I am an optimistic person uh, in general and I uh, do think uh, that with the right incentives uh, uh, you can uh, make significant changes. I am hopeful uh, that uh, the next administration and the electoral cycle actually uh, brings to the attention uh, how Mexico defines uh, uh, how it's going to navigate in energy transition in a a much more assertive way. uh, because uh, if not, it's just going to be the cost of navigating the energy transition and not unleashing the opportunity. So I am I am hopeful uh, because it is a, it is a country that has uh, met uh, challenges in the past.
1: Luis de Palacios, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Post Live and for ending on that upbeat note.
2: Thank you so much, Francis, for the invite.
1: Thank you, everybody else, for joining us. I'm going to be back soon after a short break with Ximena Mavan to talk about more about Mexico's ch- climate challenges. Thanks so much. Stay with us.
0: The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post Newsroom was not involved in the production of this content. Hi, I'm Kathleen Koch. As we just heard, climate change is having a significant effect on life in Mexico. Coming up with real solutions, will take collaboration between government, business, and communities. We're here to talk about how their company is part of that partnership for climate solutions and the difference it's making. It's Hannah Nieto. Hanna is Director of Government Affairs and ESG for 3M Latin America. Hi, Hanna. Thanks for joining me.
3: Hi, Kathleen.
0: It's so lovely to be here with you today. Well, Hannah, you know, sustainability is increasingly a priority for companies around the world. Talk to us about 3M's sustainability strategy and and how you're incorporating it into your business model.
3: Absolutely. Well, 3M... We, at 3M, we use a science based approach to reimagine what's possible as we see global challenges racing. and we need to address them. So, uh, At 3M, we use ESG-specific goals in order to reflect our commitment in a holistic way, with people, with products, and with our community. Every year, we build this momentum between science and collaboration of our solutions and also how to connect with key stakeholders. We see their urgency to move as fast as we can to find solutions to each of these global challenges. At 3M, our business solution is clear. We have a sustainability framework, which in summary is science for circular. So we design solutions that do more with less material. Science for climate, we innovate to decentralize industry. And number three, science for community. We create a more positive world through science and technology and supporting the societal needs. So for our enterprise, sustainability is one of our principal, m- most important topics that we review, and it's, it's
0: embedded in every business decision that we take so interesting well let's dig a little deeper into that specifically what steps is 3M taking to improve its carbon footprint well we see sustainability as part
3: of our culture. So to give you some examples, in Mexico we're located in various con- in various states. So in the state of Chihuahua, we're focusing in Ciudad Juárez. There it's home for 6,000 employees. So as as it's our manufacturing footprint, we said, what can we do here with sustainability? So we have adopted solar panels in order to absorb the beautiful sun in this state and how we can Included in our production line. Then when we think about sourcing, when we have to make decisions in sourcing, we review that our suppliers have sustainability issues. When we think about our sales team in Mexico City and in different states that our 3Mers go into town to visit our clients, we they use our cars, so 3M cars. So what are we doing? We're using electric cars and hybrid cars in order to contribute. So in all the different ways that we work we look at this and even in marketing and
0: events we identify how the suppliers are contributing in a sustainable way that's so interesting well, how are you helping encourage similar progress in mexican society at large yes exactly so these
3: are <laughs> when we do this is in the case of of Edumix, is we measure everything that we do and then when we think about science for community we create programs in which we partner with different NGOs in order to support the communities where present and what we focus is that these NGOs are aligned same as 3M at the United Nations SDGs so sustainability development goals in this way together our company and other companies that were in a specific location, we can work together and we can measure impact. So for Mexico, we've supported in this uh, past one year over one million Mexican
0: lives. So 3M is a, a global corporation. So how is its sustainability commitment having an impact not only in Mexico, but in other countries and regions around the world? Yeah, well, you said it very well, Kathleen.
3: We're a very big company, but we're a global company. So even if the strategy and everything's done at headquarters, we think in a holistic way and we say, wherever 3M is present, our footprint, we identify what are the things that we can do. And Catherine, let me share with you something that I really like about 3M, is we've been talking about our footprint and how we're responsible with ESG objectives. But one thing that 3M I strongly believe we're different from other companies, is that in our innovation commitment, as you know, we spend um, millions of dollars. We actually spend 5.6% of our annual sales in R&D to create new innovations. So what we've done is a sustainability value commitment. What does this mean? that for every new product that we create in order to bring to the market, it has a sustainability commitment. It could be either reusable, recyclable, water um, usage, waste reduction, responsible sourcing. So then these new products enable our clients to adopt these innovations that are sustainable innovations, so they can improve their sustainability commitment. So this is our contribution to the ecosystem. So how we can work together. So we 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 are convinced that 3M that sustainability and climate change is a team effort. And that your audience that here is listening to us today can identify within their company or if they're in government, in public policy, if they're small and medium enterprises or entrepreneurs, how we can all be part of the change because the
0: world needs us today more than ever. That is so true. Hannah Nieto, Director of Government Affairs and ESG for 3M Latin America, thank you so much for the great conversation. Oh, thank you, Kathleen, for the opportunity to be here with you today. Uh, now I'll hand it back to the Washington Post. And now back to Washington Post Live.
1: Hello and welcome back to Washington Post Live. For those of you just joining us, I'm Francis Steed Sellers, a senior writer here at the Post. I'm now joined by Ximena Barvan. She is the executive director of Chapter 0 Mexico. Ximena, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live.
4: Thank you, Francis. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Thank, Thank you, you very for joining
1: much. us again. I'd love to start by asking about the goals and objectives of Chapter Zero Mexico.
4: Well, as 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 you as you know, Frances, uh, Chapter Zero Mexico is part of these. It's the Mexican chapter of these uh, of the World Economic Forum's Initiative, Climate Governance Initiative, which is really the first uh, initiative designed specifically to address a board of directors, which we definitely think it's a key element and a key component to drive the transition uh, uh, agenda forward. So we, we look to provide board members with knowledge, skills and tools needed to make climate a really a board priority and we built all that knowledge and skills and tools around the World Economic Forum's principles for effective climate governance and uh, our purpose in Mexico is to create a community of directors committed to uh, to climate governance in order to transition to a net zero economy by 2050. Tell me a little bit more about the persuasion you have to
1: use to get the private sector involved. What are the the strategies? How do you convince them
4: that it's the right thing for them to do? Well, Francis, as you know, uh, tackling climate change is no longer just a matter of doing the right thing. But it's really uh, a matter of ensuring the permanence and the competitiveness of companies over time, Uh, building up their resilience Building up their capacities, their talent base, their workforce, and being able to really uh, face all the risks uh, that physical and transitional impacts of climate change will be uh, put into uh, will put companies into a lot of pressure. But also learning and understanding the drivers uh, for for growth, for value creation. Uh, that are really embedded in all the uh, transition transition uh, path forward. So it it's really a matter of conversation. It's a matter of making sure we have the right knowledge, that we approach things from a much more business oriented perspective, so that the the board members, but also the the high level directors or executive of the com- companies understand what's at stake here not only as a, 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 in a level of a planet a crisis but for their own companies so so that's how we approach and how we persuade really with the carrot and the stick and the carrot <laughs> in place is 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 really something that we are all looking forward so we heard in the
1: last conversation that Mexico was something of a laggard regionally. Um, but in terms of this specific strategy, how does it compare with other countries in the region?
4: Well, Francis, Mexico has a, a particular very characteristic uh, cult- cor- corporate culture Ecosystem that might compare with other cultures in Latin America, not that much to European, to a European culture or a, or American or Canadian culture. Our board base, uh, our, our our board base members are usually uh, the owners of the companies. Not really. Uh, we have a, a small base of uh, independent. Uh, board of directors and a larger base of uh, asset uh, owners of the, of the of the companies, so it 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 makes it a little bit more challenging because we really need to go deep into the corporate culture of the country, but also makes it uh, easy to navigate in sense in, in the terms that we do understand. Uh, and that's why we set up a chapter in Mexico we understand the culture we understand what drives business uh, uh, the business community in Mexico and we understand how to help them navigate uh, these uh, transitional uh, challenges uh, carbon net zero uh, carbon uh, challenges so so going into uh, into really understanding the way Business, the Mexican business community works and needs their needs, the capacities they need to be building, the drivers on upon which they take decisions. Really, could uh, and and help us uh, be a much more effective partner in the transition as an NGO. So, Mexico, of course, is a big producer of oil and gas.
1: How do you persuade those companies to move away from the products that they
4: have done so well producing? Well, really, Frances, it's, it's a matter of education. A lot of education. Okay. A lot of persuading, uh, as, as uh, Luisa said, well, building the public policy and the regulation around those big emitters. Uh, but also we have these other uh, big and important examples in Mexico of other global companies- that uh, work and are are important players within the hard-to-abate sectors- like the construction uh, sector or the cement uh, sector or transportation sector- that are really ahead of the curve and globally they are becoming leaders in, in- in this uh, driving this transition, so so we need to understand that Mexico, it's not all about bad news, and it's all not about good news, and that the difference and uh, among me- me- the level of maturity among big players is is uh, it's it's really not not symmetrical, and we need to work with those that have not reached this level of maturity and that have not understood yet the importance of uh, coming up with innovation, with best practices and understanding that the future of business should be built upon new business uh, models that create value around decarbonization, around circular economy. So it's a matter of building up a strong business case for these players.
1: Jimena, Mexico's geography leaves it vulnerable to extreme weather events, many of which can damage the power and infrastructure as well as transportation. Do you think the country is prepared for those challenges going ahead, even if it as it's trying to play catch up
4: on these other issues? Well, the thing in 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 Mexico, Francis, is that um, apparently it's like we are prepared, but when you go and deep, you, you you take a look uh, uh, in a deeper sense into our infrastructure, into our uh, transportation infrastructure, our power infrastructure, our oil and gas infrastructure. Uh, it's a, it's an old infrastructure so far, so we need. To make to to really understand that, uh, and and use that as a as a driver to accelerate uh, the green economy in Mexico, uh, just as as uh, perhaps in a, in a different in a, in a different level and with a different uh, uh, social perhaps uh, uh, focus, but we we need to do something around the idea of building up a green growth agenda that really make our our infrastructure, our, our current infrastructure really resilient for the impacts that we're going to face uh, due to climate change because uh, because we're not that prepared, I would say, but there's there's room for it. And we're already
1: there, right? Let's take specifically the kinds of um, droughts uh, and water shortages faced in the north of Mexico over the past year. What did you take away from that in
4: terms of how you have to prepare moving ahead? Well, what we take uh, what we take about that, Francis, is really the roadmap for uh, carbon t- uh, transition in, in Mexico. And we ne- really ne- need to make sure that our boards our our stakeholders or the the people we're working with, understand that there's a lot of value in this net uh, zero uh, strategy. And they have to estimate their footprint at a strategy level. They need to understand their climate risk and exposure. They need to define uh, their net zero business model, which is really important because it's not only about having a couple of initiatives or strategies around uh, mitigating CO2 emissions, but it's really about building a new business model around net zero. Uh, they need to shape their opposites and, and, and removal strategy and definitely set ambitious uh, targets in order for them to move as. As you may know, for instance, SBTI Science-Based Target Initiative, around the world, almost 5,000 companies have already are already taking action. In Latin America, that accounts for 139 companies, and in Mexico, we're just 28 companies working under Science-Based Target uh, uh, under this Science-Based Target Initiative. So, so we really need to make all these. Heart pressures, physical pressures, transitional pressures, and risks—part of the driver to to look uh, and to foster uh, growth in a different way. Are there any specific government policies
1: you could name that have helped are helping to combat climate change? Well,
4: uh, oddly enough. Mexico has a strong regulatory uh, uh, tradition in its environmental and climate uh, and climate uh, areas. Uh, we were the first country back in 2015 to have a holistic really integrated uh, climate change law where we set uh, we set very ambitious targets that are now uh, uh, being uh, iterated uh, or or recovered through the through our latest NDC that we we, we submitted at the tw- cop twenty seven. Uh, and through that really, I would say robust uh, uh, climate framework, a lot of uh, tools, a lot of infrastructure and fundamentals uh, 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 tools, I would say, uh, help the country to move forward. Uh, we have a national uh, climate uh, change institute that it's really a think tank for all these matters. We've been very good at understanding uh, at a geographical and, uh, uh, level the impacts, the physical impacts and the vulnerabilities of Mexico. So we've been very productive at setting up the policies for a much more aggressive adaptation um, strategy, uh, nature-based mitigation strategies as well. Uh, But we still have to prove ourselves that in the implementation, we are aggressive enough. Another piece of legislation, which is very important for these, as Luisa said, that we are a heavily uh, relied oil and uh, fossil fuel energy uh, and and power uh, based uh, uh, country, is all the all the uh, the changes around the energy uh, framework. Which defines as well a transition energy uh, law that we should find there the the incentives that we need to move uh, forward and we for, in this administration specifically Francis the Ministry of uh, Finance has been working pretty hard and I would say with with a lot of uh, of, of um, putting a lot of effort and talent into it into a much more robust uh, financial uh, regulatory uh, framework for sustainable finance we we uh, we, we launched uh, our our sustainable taxonomy last uh, March and it's really a taxonomy a very unique uh, taxonomy when you compare it to the European one because we were able to not only develop the environmental fundamentals uh, to face climate change, but we also uh, made it a very balanced taxonomy around social issues. So our social agenda and our our environmental agenda can really work together- in this financial uh, sustainability taxonomy, which is very important moving forward.
1: Ximena, uh, we're getting close to the end of our time, but I do want to get an audience question. This comes from Jeffrey Davis in California. And Jeffrey Davis asks, like many countries in the G20, there are poor segments of the population. Is there a program within Mexico to bring about clean energy to those people and communities in lower economic strata, such as clean solar panels? A very important question from Jeffrey
4: Davis there. Absolutely. And that is why... We need to incorporate into the current uh, government agenda uh, the the transition net zero transition issue. Not not only uh, work with uh, with what we have, but really incorporate the private sector in order to develop these social programs and advance. All these uh, clean energy infrastructure into communities. Uh, We we do have a couple of programs, but as Luisa said before, the the government and the state-owned companies will be insufficient to really broaden that uh, capability uh, to to have the type and level of investment that this uh, requires. And we really need to be working uh, as a team, a government, private sector and uh, and uh, and uh, or organizations as our, the the social sector. So I would say to Jeffrey that yes, they are, but they are insufficient. we 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 need to accelerate those uh, those public policies and programs, and uh, as as in the rest of the world, collaboration, Among sectors, private, public, and social, will be the key to advance these agendas.
1: Amanda, we need to finish, but I'm going to have one last
4: question. If you have one
1: thing in one sentence that you'd like people to know about Chapter Zero Mexico, what would
4: it be? Well, that we are. The main idea is really to get the information for for that board members need build up the knowledge and the capacities and help them not only design but drive a climate agenda uh, with best practices that could really make their their companies thrive in these challenging era so uh, look up for us in in our website chapter zero uh, uh net mx and just feel free to contact us we're here to help building these great capacities. goals Semena.
1: Jimena, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Post Live. Thank you,
4: Francine. The pleasure being with you.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.